while you're standing, can give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you can certainly take your seats. Amen. I thank God for the opportunity to be before you this morning. Um, do me a favor, Brother Julio, keep me on track because you know that when I flow, I move from the earth realm to the heaven realm and time is no longer in charge. <laughs> certainly, I want to give honor to the under-shepherd of this house, Apostle Victor Nazario. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. And to Pastor Gwen Nazario, I thank God for my wife being here with me today. I also thank God, hallelujah, for Pastor Michelle. I thank God for Caesar Roman, Caesar Roman, Nellie Roman, and the Roman family being here today. Amen. Hallelujah. Love you guys. I told my brother I was going to be speaking today. He said, well, no, no, I, I'm going to have to get there now. Um, I have a finite amount of time to do something eternal in your soul. I have a finite amount of time to do something eternal in your soul. And so we need to master the time. Someone say master the time. Look at someone and say, we need to master the time. We are living in the end times, and God handpicked you and I to be alive at this dispensation in time. Howbeit, God did not pick you or I to walk with Christ back in the days of the gospel. Howbeit, that God did not pick us to walk back in the days of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Why did God choose you at this time when chaos is all loose? What does God know about you that you don't yet know about you? Do you see yourself where you were before? Do you see yourself where you are now? Or do you see yourself where God's taking you? Sometimes it might be the before. Sometimes it might be the now. Sometimes it might be the future. But I submit to you, if you are tapping into the past, you're not looking through God's eyes. If you're tapping into the present, you're not looking through God's eyes. But if you're tapping into the future, I say you're looking through God's eyes. Does God make mistakes? Oh, it's quiet. Does God make mistakes? And who made you? So by definition of the first answer, you are not a ma Come on, somebody. Now, the enemy will want us to believe contrary to what you just said. And it is his assignment to get you to believe what God has not called you to believe. And by definition of believing what the enemy wants you to believe, you become an unbeliever. Is this making sense so far? All right, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity, Father, to take this time, Father, to impart and deposit into the lives of you, these, your people, O oh God. Lord, I recognize that it is only in you that I live, move, and have my being. 
Father, I decrease right now that you may increase in me, Father. Lord, I ask that you use me as your instrument, as your, as your vessel today, Father. Lord, I ask that you take this word, this word that you planted inside my spirit and deposit it, Father, with, with a sharp-edged sword, two-edged sword, Father, piercing soul and spirit and bring it to the marrow, Father. Let it cause them to bring them to a place where they're never called, where they're never seeing themselves being called to be, Father. Help them to begin to become what you've called them to be. Before the foundation of the world was even created, you saw this day. And you saw each one of them. You numbered the hairs on their head. You fashioned them and made them. Everything that they are was by your design, Father. And you do not draw back your word, Father, but you push it forward. So, Father, push your word forward right now in the lives of these, your people, Father. And I thank you and praise you for the atmosphere being set and wet and meet for the master you. Now, Father, I take authority, Father, over every principality, every power, every ruler of darkness of this world, every wicked spirit in high places, the ones that come to try to bring disruption, distraction, and uh, destruction, Father. I bind them right now, and I loose them from the assignment. Holy Spirit, come, impregnate this place, and let your atmosphere be wet with your presence. Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah! 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 Now, if you never heard me preach before, you might find out that there's a little bit difference between me and Apostle Nazario. Both anointed, but the anointing is different. Amen. He doesn't play, I don't play, but he doesn't play a different way that I don't play. Come on, somebody. Did you catch that? I said, he doesn't play and I don't play, but he doesn't play a different way that I don't play. Amen? Just a little bit of background. I've come through the benefit of being here some years ago. I think, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, help me out, Minister Helen, up 2004. Hallelujah, 2003, listen, however many times. And so what happened was God moved us from one transition of a ministry into this ministry, and God thrust us into this ministry. And some things that you're doing today, believe it or not, is a result of us stopping by. Is that all right? Can someone attest to that? Hallelujah. And one of the things that Apostle Nazaro shared with me, my wife, and said, listen, we want you to stay connected, and I thank God for this man's wisdom, and I thank God for the opportunity to hear him, and I am connected with that man of God. Amen. We are therefore connected with Calvary Christian Fellowship. What I have in my hand is a ruler. It's a 12-inch ruler. Amen. Now, if I were to take this ruler and I put it up against uh, the wall right here, uh, Brother Nate, you come here for a second, brother. Can you help me out? Because, you know, you, I know you got sneakers on. You're always running back and forth. Man, come on, man. Come on, quickly, quickly. Man. I got a finite amount of time, and you're walking slow with a Mets t-shirt. Go sit back down. Who's wearing a Yankees t-shirt? <laughs> Do me a favor. Put that up against the wall there, and, and just tell me, what, when you get to, from the bottom to the top, how many inches does it measure? From the bottom to the top, what does it measure to? You talk about no, no. From the bottom ruler to the top ruler, what is that? Uh, seven inches. All the way to the top. Uh, Twelve inches, right? Twelve inches, yes, sir. Okay. Now, now, do me a favor. Move it over there to that side of the wall over there. Yes, yes. Can you move a little bit quicker, man? You all right? You okay? You move kind of slow today. What happened? Your daughter kicked you in the knee? No, there was a sweet 16 yesterday. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Twelve inches. Twelve inches. So, so basically, if you take that ruler, and you, you can sit down now, man. I want to mess you because you know you have the sweet 16. You can hold on to that. So if you take the ruler from this side of the wall, amen, it's 12 inches, amen, and if you move it over this side of the wall, it's still 12 inches, right? 
I think if we took the ruler and we moved it uh, into uh, Brooklyn and put it up against the wall, it's still 12 inches. If you took the ruler and you moved it into Connecticut, uh, California, New Mexico, it'll still be 12 inches, right? I know that in uh, Europe they use a metric system, but if I brought my 12-inch ruler into the metric system of Europe and moved it up against the wall and I measured from the bottom to the top, it's still, what, 12 inches. If I took it to China and put it up against a place where it's a palace and I still put it up against the wall, it's still, what, 12 inches. If I took it to Africa, Budapest, come on, somebody, Israel, Russia, if I took a shuttle to the moon, come on, somebody, dropped off the room, got out the moon, put it in the dirt, and moved it from the bottom to the top, it's still what? Do you know why it's still 12 inches? Because it's a standard. A standard cannot be changed no matter where it goes. When I was growing up, and some of you weren't even born, 12 inches was still 12 inches. Is that all right? And when I'm long gone and some of you are still moving along, it'll still be 12 inches. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the standard of all standards. It does not matter. Come on, somebody. Whether I'm alive or dead, it does not matter whether I'm here or not. When God says something, his word is a standard. And no one, no legislation, no situation, no circumstance, no lack, no poverty, no divorce, no situation, no war, no rumor of war can change the standard of God's word. I'm here to say today if that if you don't live by the standard you are the one that will be affected by the standard the standard won't be affected by you is that all right I can't say it again I got a little bit of time and he keeps on clicking the top tell him to hold the clock I'll say it again he said, hold the clock. I don't know why Julio gave me 45 minutes. He knows I can't do this in 45 minutes, but that's okay. So I'm going to go quickly through Scripture. Some of the Scripture is familiar to you. And so I'm going to move quickly because I want to come to a point by which I can make a point. Amen. And I believe that in making that point, it'll free you from some things that you may have been struggling with in your current circumstances and hopefully it will give you some, unlock some keys for the future of your life. Amen? Because I believe that there are keys to the future of your life that God has set up for your life to walk through. There's some doors to walk through. There's some, there's some, some spheres and some atmospheres to walk through. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or the heaven and the earth. By the way, I read from the King James Version, so my version may be a little bit different from yours. If you're reading from an NIV version, it already says heavens there in the first verse. But it's not heavens. It's, verse, it's heavens singular. It doesn't become heavens plurality until it gets into the Genesis chapter 2. Okay? Now, I, I say that because I don't want to confuse someone or trip them up. I'm saying that for you to understand that when I study out the word, I'm studying out the word, and I want to give you from this purest text so I can bring you to the holistic understanding of the word so it can be applicable to your life and you don't miss the mark. 
Because if I say something in error and you apply it to your life, you can miss the mark. And so I have to say from the context which God wanted to be delivered so that you can hit the mark that God wants you to hit and not miss the mark. Amen? And so Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I hope we know this story, but let me just surmise it real quick. Earth was out form. Let me say this, verse 2. It says, and the earth was, was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So at this point in time, God had created the heaven and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness ensued upon the earth. Amen. God then began to proceed by saying, God said, let there be light. And God saw what he did between verses 3 and verses 25, that everything he said, let there be, it created what God said, let there be. So it didn't exist until God said for it to be. And every time he existed, every time he made something and it came into existence, God looked back and he said, and it was good. Okay? I encourage you to read the Bible in this context that I'm giving you, the scriptures I'm giving you. Read Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and the foundation will make more sense to you. I want to jump down into verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the, all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. Someone say dominion. So God created man in his own image. Say his own image. That's a little side, type, side tip. That's why God says that you shall not make a graven image unto God. The second commandment says, I've already made the graven image, and the graven image is you. And so since you're already made in the image of God, God doesn't want you to go make another image that he already made when he made you. Did that make sense? All right, let's go further. And God, uh, and God blessed them, verse, uh, now I want to go further up. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. So, so when God made man, that's mankind, and inside mankind he had both male and female. And so God did not distinguish between who would have dominion, male or female. Both male and female have dominion. It is not gender specific. That's important for you to understand so that you understand your authority. Because if you don't understand your authority, then you think a man can do something that a woman can't, and a woman can do something that a man can't. There are certain things that are set up based on gender, but there are certain things that are genderless when it comes to God. And having authority in the earth is genderless. Sister, you got authority over the kingdom. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moves upon the earth. So God blessed them. I believe when he blessed them, that was the first coronation service. He made them authoritative over the earth, and that blessing, I believe, was a coronation when he crowned them with the authority. Amen. 
Now, I want you to see something. I read verse 1 because this is important. When God created the heaven and the earth, between verses 2 and verses 25, God dealt with the earth. He did not deal with the heaven. Verses 2 through 25 in Genesis chapter 1, God dealt with the earth. He did not deal with the heaven. You might ask the question, why did he not deal with the heaven? Because God had planned on being in heaven, but he put you down here in the earth for you to run the authority of the earth. So God was already in heaven. He doesn't need to worry about heaven. Heaven's already set because he's in there. But when he put us in the earth, God placed man in the earth to have dominion over the earth. So the purpose of being here is not simply just to be here. It's not simply just to work. It's not to go on Facebook. It's not to watch sports. It's not even just to procreate. It's not even just to get married. Now, some of those assignments are part of the holistic assignment that you're called to be while you're in the earth. But it's a part of the milestone of your whole project plan for your life. Does that make sense? God has a complete plan for your whole life, but that's a milestone in the holistic assignment of your life. Amen? That's important if you don't understand, because in order for God to operate in the realm of the earth, he must have a cooperative agent, someone from the human race, that he dispatched or dispersed or delegated the responsibility of the earth to agree with him to function in the earth. God must have a cooperative agent in the earth to do what he will do in the earth. And you, the human race, individuals or corporately, are his agents to do what he wants to do. If you ask the question, God, why won't you do it? The question becomes, well, what have you done to help me do it? Because God gave responsibility to man, meaning mankind, to have dominion on the earth. He does not go back on his word. He goes forward with his word. God does not go back on his word. He goes forward with his word. Now, I pray that we know the story, the story of Adam and Eve and the fact that God planted Adam in the garden formed them from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of God, and he became a living soul. That breath of God represented the spirit of God. The soul is nephesh in the Hebrew. So God made Adam an animation of a man so that he can begin to give him instructions. And then God began to give him instructions. He planted him in the Garden of Eden, and he said, Now, you can have every tree in the Garden of Eden, but the, but, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then God goes on and he places the responsibility within Adam's hands and he says, listen, it is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a help me. By the way, I'm already in Genesis chapter 2. And God began to form the animals inside the garden. Amen? Verse 19, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air 
and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. The Bible says, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Which means that an elephant did not become an elephant until Adam named it an elephant. And a dog did not become a dog until Adam named it a dog. A bird, a robin, a seagull, every fowl, a turkey, an eagle, Adam named them. Why would God have Adam name them? Because God gave Adam responsibility in the realm of the earth. And if he gave a responsibility, he's not going to withdraw it. So he needs to work with Adam to create what God wanted to create. Well, how come Adam hit the mark? Because Adam and God were connected as one person. There was no darkness, no separation. There was no negative impact with Adam and God. God and Adam were synchronized. They were rightly aligned. And so whatever God thought, Adam thought. And so Adam said what God thought because what God thought and Adam thought was the same thing that they thought. So Adam just said what God thought. And so whatever God thought, Adam said, and it was done. You're laughing, but let me ask you a question. What's God thinking right now? He said, I should know. And the reality of it is you should know. The problem is we don't know because we came into a place where we are now fallen in sin. And the minute we fell into sin, we disconnected from God because God said, in the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Meaning you will separate first spiritually, which means you do not now know what I'm thinking. Sin has several impacts. The first is it causes us to die spiritually. The second is it causes us to die physically. And the result of a physical death is an eternal damnation. And it all started with a conversation. What did God say? Be careful who you speak to after church. Until you know what has been said and it's become so ingrained in your spirit that there is no shaking of it. Be careful who you share with. Are they adding and encouraging to help multiply or are they subtracting? Most of you may know I'm a chaplain in the Department of Corrections and one of the things I talk to men about is relationships. And I say, what do you call a thief that goes into a bank withdraws the money. I mean, what do you call a person that goes to a bank, withdraws money where they have no account and no deposit? A thief. Then I say, what do you call a man that goes into a relationship with a woman, doesn't make a deposit, but tries to make a withdrawal? And so I teach men to make the right relationships established so that you can make the right deposit and then have the proper withdrawal. You should be giving into your relationships, not subtracting. And the same difference, we should be given in our relationship with God and not subtracting. Amen? So do you come to church, you get 
something from God or do you come to church to let God get something from you? I'm just asking some questions. I didn't say the answer was one or the other. I'm just asking the question because I know when I come to church, I have to really ask God, what is my motive? What is my assignment? What is my, is it in my agenda that I'm coming to church for or is it your assignment? Because see, an agenda is man-made, but an assignment is God-given. And I need to know why I'm here so that I can do what I, what I need to do, not what I want to do. Amen? Understand this, anything I'm saying to you, I, listen, I, anything I deliver, I must live out. So I'm not sharing with you something that I have all the answers in my own life. I'm, I'm basically sharing with you what God told me to give out. Amen? Is this all right? And so Adam was able to name animals because he was connected with God. And so he was able to see into God's heart, into God's mind, into God's spirit, into God's soul. And in that process, I'm not saying God in that context, but in, God, in that process, God and Adam were able to communicate effectively what Adam said was already in the heart of God. Okay? Now, for sake of time, let's jump into John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, hallelujah. Let's take a snap. You go ahead to John chapter 3. I want to go to Isaiah for a moment to just give you a snapshot of what we look like between John chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 3. Amen. Genesis chapter 3 is where man fell into sin and therefore they were separated from God, Adam and Eve or Adam and woman. Amen. They were separated from God. But I want to jump into Isaiah while you go to John chapter 3. In Isaiah 55 it says this. It says, um, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon it and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Then he goes on to say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are as high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall prosper to that which I please, and it shall, I'm assuming it shall accomplish to that which I please, and prosper to that thing which I sent it to. Goes back to what was said earlier. God does not go back on his word. He goes forward with his word. And so either we're moving forward with the word of God or we are move, moving away from or against or in opposition of the word of God. Amen. In Genesis chapter, excuse me, John chapter 3 says this, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except he be with him. Amen. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully. Wait, the reason why you see verily, verily there, or truthfully, truthfully, depending upon the version that you have, is because in, 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 in that tradition, whenever they say tr truth twice, it is, a, it, is a, uh, um, it is an explanation and an exclamation. It is saying, listen, if you listen to nothing else I've said, listen to this. Don't miss this point. It is like sending a text and putting it in bold caps. I told you no. I think the answer is no at that point, don't you? Amen? 
So they didn't use text messages and bold caps there. So Jesus said, verily, verily, which means he's, he's sharing something that he doesn't want any of us to miss. Amen? So he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot, watch this, see the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to know who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was not just a Pharisee. He was a chief ruler of the Pharisees, which means that he was responsible for a higher authority within the Pharisee sect. Now, the Pharisees were the ones that were responsible for delivering out the word of God to God's chosen people. So, in short, the Pharisees were the chosen of the chosen people. And he sees someone show up that can't do what he can do. So he doesn't come to him during the daytime because someone might see him. He comes to him at nighttime, which goes against tradition, and he's not walking by himself. He's walk, I mean, he's not walking with someone else, which, again, goes against tradition. He's walking by himself. So here's a Pharisee traveling at nighttime by himself to go hear from Jesus because he says, we know, not he knows, but we know, meaning the collective whole of the Pharisees know that he is a person that comes from God. For no one can do the miracles that you do except they be of God. So they're not questioning who Jesus was because they believe it was of God. Whether they refute it in person or not, they're not questioning it within their heart. In their heart, they knew he was of God. And they say, well, listen, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I've been here for, uh, I've been coming here for, uh, for a few weeks now, and, and I saw last week we had a baptism award ceremony, and, and I've seen some people give their life to the Lord. The people who have been born again recently, I want you to understand something that's profound about that. Prior to that, there was a realm that Jesus is saying existed that you had no knowledge of. He's saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is that there is a realm a domain, a location of God that you cannot see unless you're born again. Now, the word see in Greek is edo, E-I-D-O, and it means to understand or comprehend. So what Jesus is saying is that there's a place that you don't know of, nor can you comprehend unless you're born again. Which means if you're not born again, you have no access nor knowledge of something that already exists and existed before you got here. Why is that important? Because when Adam and the woman fell into sin, they separated from the realm that Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus is trying to do is get us connected back to the realm so that we can walk in authority God called us to walk in. So what challenges us to walk in that authority? Five things. Write them down if you want to. Your sight, your ears, your nose. Do I need to go further? Someone want to complete the list? Thank you. You see with your eyes, you hear with your ears, you smell with your nose, you taste with your mouth, and you touch with your hands. 
What challenges you from operating on the level God's called you to operate are your five senses. And Satan uses your five senses against you so that you can distract yourself from the thing that God called you to walk in. Is this making sense to anybody? I don't pause for dramatic purpose. I pause because I want that to sink in. The sister that shared her testimony, she talked about how she decided to dismiss herself from her feelings. Come on, somebody. Dismiss herself from her senses. She said, you got to stop looking at things the way you're looking at them because I've come to a place where I realize that I've seen something in a different place at a different level that before I didn't have, before I didn't go through this adversity, I did not see. You see, we look at adversity and crisis the wrong way. Adversity and crisis is not designed to, to stop you. It is designed to thrust you into your purpose. See, the presence of a test is a sign of trust. It's a sign of trust to God that said, I can trust my brother that you're going to walk through this. And when you come out the other side, you're going to be better off than where you were when you went into it. Adversity will bring relationships in your life and get relationships out your life. Woo, come on, somebody. You're going to find out who your real friends are. Adversity will stop conversation with some family members and start conversations with other family members. Come on, somebody. Adversity will, keep, will bring your, your strained marriage to a place where, where you, you now know who you're with, and now you need to go together for something. Listen, one will set 1,000 a flight, two will set 10,000 a flight. See, because adversity... It's designed to reveal a side of God we have yet to experience. It's nice to hear how he healed the blind, amen, gave sight to them, and, and, and that the woman with the issue of blood 12 years, you know, praise God, she came out, she touched him in the garment, amen, and now she came out the other side, and we go home and say, I'm glad, I'm glad she got, you know, that, 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 that situation resolved. But what happens when someone talks about your own physical situation? Who do you go to? I mean, let me say this to you. God is plan A. A is for alpha. There is no plan B. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. See, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said it this way. He said, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, whether God saves us or not, he's God. I don't have a doubt in my mind, but if you throw me in the fiery furnace and he saves us, fantastic. If you don't, I mean, if he doesn't save us, it's still fantastic. Paul said this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not sure what you're going through. I'm not sure your circumstances. But if you begin to recognize that God did not bring you to this place for you to be defeated, but to you be elevated, then, then your purpose of going through this is not what you think. You know, everybody. The Bible says that we all live by the word of God, whether we know it or not. 
You say, what do you mean, Pastor? He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of. So even an atheist needs God's word to survive. Isn't it interesting that in order to say a word, you must exhale the breath that God gave you in your lungs? So even when an atheist begins to rant against God, he's relying on God, she's relying on God for that breath to rant against God. That's why God laughs and said, okay, I don't exist. Every time you breathe, you tell me I do exist, but that's okay. I don't exist. No problem. See, see, what's important for you to understand is, is that God does not have an identity crisis. He knows who he is. But if you don't know who you are, you will have an identity crisis. And the problem is you don't know who you are until you know who God is. Because it's God who made you, not you yourself. You say, well, I was born to my parents. Well, technically, you weren't. They're just a manufacturing plant that God used to bring you here. Our perspective matters. I know what it looks like. It could be raining cats and dogs outside. I never know what that meant because I never heard a cat or dog raining, but that's what they say. But I am aware of one thing, that beyond the clouds that are very low, there's a sun that's shining high. I could be in a blizzard, but beyond that blizzard, which is at this level, beyond that blizzard, there's a, there's a sun shining. Our perspective, then, is important. So much so that Jesus goes through this in the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, if, if, we, if you turn there in Matthew chapter 5, it talks about how that took place. He, he, he saw the multitude and he went up to the mountain, but he sat with his disciples. You see, the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a conversation with him and the multitude. The Sermon on the Mount was a conversation with him and his disciples. Come on, somebody. And he told his disciples what was going on. He talked to them about all types of areas concerning life. He talked to them about the alms. He talked to them about adultery. He talked to them about relationships. He talked to them about uh, blessed uh, is a man and blessed is, is this and blessed is that, the Beatitudes. He spoke about all of these areas, but then he gets down to an area where we call Matthew 6.33. He says, but after I've summed all these things up, after I said all of this, as my disciples, I want you to know this one thing. And he starts by saying this very important word. The most important word in that scripture. That if we understand the context of that word, 
we can move into our level of authority. The first word of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is, but. Now, why is that important? Because the word but cancels out everything that was said before. Mommy, Daddy, could I go outside and play? I wouldn't let you go outside and play today, but, well, that's already over. After that, all they blah, 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 because they, they already registered in their mind they're not going outside. And the next thing you hear from them is, but why? So Jesus goes through all of this, the Beatitudes and the alms and the divorce and the adultery and, and love thy neighbor and, and even goes through the Lord's Prayer where he says, but seek you first the kingdom of God, which suggests that even though you're born again, there still is an effort that must be established on your behalf to go after something because it's too valuable just to give it to you. You see, for all those who got saved, I thank God for that. Salvation is free because Jesus paid the price. So by definition to you, salvation is free. Watch this. But there's a cost to discipleship. The purpose of coming to church is to become the church. You are the ecclesia, the body of Christ. Lively stones fitly joined together. Every time you show up on your job, you bring the church to your job whether they want it or not. Every time you show up to the, the grocery store, you bring the church to the grocery store. Every time you're driving your car down a highway, stop cutting people off and stop calling names because you're misrepresenting the ecclesia, the body of Christ, of which you are. Wait, I, was talking, I wasn't talking to you, brother. Okay, Father, we pray for her right now. We pray for her right now, Lord. He confesses sins. I knew he looked familiar. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been like you. What makes them think that where they're going is more important than where I'm going? I mean, I try to wrestle it in my mind. They just said they're more important. No, you're not more important than me. I'm going to. But watch this, watch this, watch this. The one that's cutting you off may need to know who you are so they can know who God is. And maybe that was not road race, but a divine encounter that God orchestrated. Perspective matters. Is it okay if I take off my jacket? Is that 12 minutes or two minutes? I took my glasses off, too. Is this all right? Amen. Brother Nate, don't be laughing at me, man. You still got that Mets shirt on. <laughs> listen, I love my brother. We go back a long way. And I think, listen, whenever I mess with someone like that, I want you to know that I see God all over them. And I love them dearly. 
Really, I do. There's just some people that are bona fide men of God that I that I just I, I just like to mess with. You know, I do it. I do it. Mr. Al, you know, I don't do that with women as much. I do it with my wife, but no other women because too much me too going on out here. So I just stay away from that. Let me, let, me, let me go a little bit further. Can I go a little bit further? Yes, yes. See, when, you, when, you, when you're born again, there is an assignment on your life that you just came into. And that assignment was always there, but you weren't aware of the assignment because your, your ability to tap into that did not happen before you went through the door, which is Jesus Christ. I am the door. But when you went through the door, you got entrance to a room that you did not know existed before. You get access to the realm of heaven, which you never thought could be possible. Now, it's important that you understand that Jesus is saying here is that unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. I don't know if you ever read the book of Daniel or the book of uh, uh, Revelation, and you talk about the seraphim or the cherubim. You talk about how Lucifer was so beautifully arranged. He had organs coming out of him, had all types of stones. He was beautiful to look at. I don't know if you went into the book of, of, of Revelation, and you talk about what it looks like uh, on the throne of God and the 24 elders and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit, which is a lampstand and the oil continuously flowing and a light flame. I mean, the the things of the kingdom of God are just awesome. I know everybody talks about the mansion and, and, the, and, the, and the gold. Listen, if I go to the kingdom of God, I'm not going to try to hang out in my mansion. I want to get before the Lord. I think about the fact that, behold, the Lamb of God, which was slain. I, I think about the fact that, that this is the same Jesus who is the root of the seed of David. And, and they ask a question. They say a question like this. He said, who is worthy to open up this sealed book? This book that the strong angel held. Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open up this book? And John began to weep because he, he, he could not find a man that was worthy. And all of a sudden, they told him, said, don't worry about it. We got one. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, shows up and, and they begin to open up the sealed book and they begin to release the things that God called to be released in the earth realm. And now we begin to see things manifest. We are living in the days of the opening of the sealed book. We are living in the days of the opening of the sealed book of God that call for different things to be released. The seven seals releases different dispensations into the realm of the earth that allows the earth to go and run amok. And we're saying, what is going on, God? Why is this going on the left and on the right? Why is everything seem to be so jacked up? And what God says is, remember that love I told you about, that unconditional love, the love that is immeasurable? We know about that love. We were saved by that love. Well, in order for God's love to exist, just like anything else, there must be something on the other side of the scale to balance out the love. Everything must have an equal portion to compensate. 
So what is the compensating measure on the other side of the scale that represents something that can be equal to that level of love? I heard you say God's wrath. You see, if we don't take advantage of his unconditional, unfeigned, unselfish, only begotten son died on the cross, 29 stripes on his back, crown of thorns. And if we don't take advantage of the things that he did, we, 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 we're only going to find ourselves on the other side of that equation, which is when God decides to pour his wrath out into the earth without mixture, which means he's not going to withhold it. He's not going to dupe the, the, he's not going to dilute it. He's going to pour it out in the greatest measure. And only those that know their God, equal to God knowing them, key. Because there will be some that will show up. And the words the scripture says is, be, depart from me, I never knew you. Ten virgins, five ready, keeping the oil. In the lamp. What's the oil represent? The anointing. Staying before the throne of God. Just listen, I don't have time to hang out at Buffalo Wild Wings. I, I got to get on my faith. There's some things I got to believe. Listen, everything's going well, but I want to stay connected with the almighty God. I don't want to leave his presence. I want to feel his presence. I want to know what it looks like. I want to walk outside with his aroma. Right, listen, what happens when you walk down the street and the scent of God is all over you? God told, Jesus told Peter when he went fishing, came back and Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. <clears throat> and then, then Peter sees some, someone afar off. Us theologians believe it was John. He said, what about him? He said, don't worry about him. He said, listen, Peter, there's going to come a time when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do and you got dressed. You dressed yourself. You went where you wanted to go. But when you walk this walk, someone else is going to dress you and they will tell you where to go. My question is, is you, are you telling God or is God telling you? Are you going where you feel you want to go or are you going where God wants you to go? And I'm here to tell you that where you where God wants you to go will not necessarily be where your flesh wants to go. I've been a chaplain for four years in the Department of Corrections, and I never expected to be there. Just yesterday, I was in the barbershop, and, you know, I had my glasses off, and, you know, I had to thing over me and get my hair cut, and guy walked in, and I, and, and I, and I get up, and he's talking to a couple of guys, and uh, I put my glasses on. He said, I heard the voice, but I couldn't figure it out until you put the glasses on. And the man walked up to me, stand up, Minister Al. This is what the man did. He just walked up to me. And I whispered in his ear. I said, Valhalla? He said, yes. And he said, because of you, I'm not going back. Yeah. 
I said, because of God, you're not going back. But that's not the first time that happened. You see, we don't know how God will use us until we get in the position where God says, whatever you say. And that's a dangerous thing to say because the yes to God does not mean you know what's going to go down. You don't know how it's going to go down. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. So you can do what you want, how you want to do, as right as you may think you are. But let's go back to the me too idea and everything else that's coming up. We got to be careful what we aspire to align ourselves to in the name of rights. I'm not saying wrong should not be corrected. I am saying be careful what you attach yourself to as a movement because the question is, if God says do it, that's fine. But it could be that you are moving yourself in a position that God may not want you to move. And I do the same thing. I have to be careful what I align myself to based on my pigmentation, based on my gender. Come on, somebody. Don't let someone stereotype what your boundaries are based on how they see you. Because if they don't see you through God's eyes, then they haven't seen you yet. Scripture says, he, scripture says, it says, I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that we have for those that love God. I've given just a small smidget, but I want, I, I want, I want to end with this. I want to end with this. How do we get to a point where we get to the kingdom of God? Paul suggests in Romans chapter 12 that we are, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. What's this? A living sacrifice. God can't use you if you're dead. Don't wait until what you define as old age. You know, God, just, you know, once I get this done, once I get that done, who said this is going to be done or that going to be done? And better yet, who is waiting for you to get that done so they can come into God because they need you to come into God and you have not yet set yourself in position to come into God for them to come into God? This is why communion is about examining ourselves. Because when we examine ourselves, what happens is then God's able to use that examination and so the Bible says, Paul says, beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you accept your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then it says, and be not conformed to this world. That's why you need to be born of the Holy Spirit. Not just born again, but we need the Holy Spirit. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your 
your mind needs to be renewed, not lost. Don't lose your mind. Renew your mind. Because you need your mind to be renewed. How does it get renewed? It gets renewed with the mind of Christ so that we can go back into Isaiah. And when God says, I know your thoughts are my thoughts. Your ways are my ways. That's what he was saying when we look at Job. God said Job was a man who was perfect and upright. On the level Job was at. And God removed Job from that level and elevated him to the next level because he allows him to come through a situation of drama. Transition. It wasn't easy, but it was necessary. God talked to Satan about Job, but never talked to Job about Satan. God might be having a conversation about you right now, saints of God. Saying, have you considered my servant? And I'm here to tell you, if there's a test that's near or a test that's coming, more than likely, if you are in God, it is a sign of trust. God is trying to bring you to a level that you didn't realize God already established for you to walk in. This is a walk not for the faint of heart. I didn't say it was easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But I submit to you today, it is necessary. Brandon, come on and get on the keys, sir, please. It is necessary. Because you and I don't know what's standing between you and the ones that are behind you. When I see people, I see a multitude that need to be reached. An apostle Nazaro can't go. Pastor Gwen can't go everywhere. Minister Cynthia, Minister Helen, Minister Al and Liz and Lourdes and Elder Ross and the Lugos. Don't wait to get into any uh, position of leadership and capacity to cry out to God and say, God, use me. Brother, God can use you right now. There are men who are going to listen to you that won't hear a word that I'm saying because your way of talking, your way of communication, the things that you're going to say, how you're going to say it, God's going to show you things. God's going to show each one of us how we can be a difference maker around the people who's going to hear from God tomorrow because you show up who's going to hear from God tomorrow because you show they didn't go to church but by God will the church come to them tomorrow